a few frozen, breathless seconds, and looked cautiously both ways down the street before they dare moved. Confident of their concealment, they quietly and carefully set off in the direction of the meeting place, following the contours of shadows and dark lanes to veil their journey. When they arrived, they were greeted by the warm and familiar faces of their brothers and sisters, who had also gathered here to fellowship together. For all of them, including these two men, Emmanuel and Kibram, this was the only opportunity to worship their Savior together in a community, their only hope for true fellowship, and they were entrusting their lives to all those who were present. They had become all too accustomed with the laws forbidding open worship uh, in trying to remember how to pronounce this, Eretia. The fear and hesitation melted away as they began to worship and share together. It came as both an intrusion and a distress when a loud hammering at the door broke their praise. The singing stopped. The gathering believers exchanged wide-eyed and knowing glances. They knew immediately what it meant. Their meeting has been discovered and they would be arrested, detained, and possibly tortured for breaking the law. Since 2002, only the Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Lutheran churches have been recognized in Eritrea along with Islam. Numerous evangelical Christians had been arrested for practicing what officials called a new religion. Since that time, thousands of Christians had been placed in prisons where they, fa- uh, where they faced deplorable conditions. Some held in metal shipping containers and temperatures that would soar above 100 degrees Fahrenheit or drop below freezing. Within moments, the doors forced open to reveal several uniformed police or security police, members of a task force, specially designed for finding Christians. Emmanuel, 23 years old, Kibram, 30, and eight others were arrested, taken into a military confinement camp. They there were subjected to torture and furious mistreatment, according to one, uh, one of the other believers. At the end of two days, Emmanuel and Kibram both died of severe dehydration and injuries sustained in torture. In the, in the end, the two men dared to gather with other believers because they understood the life-giving effects of sharing in the bonds of brotherhood. They understood the risk, but would not deny, could not deny that it, to be united with Christ meant to be bound to one another in love and encouragement, gifts that far outweighed the risks. This happened on October 17th, 2006. This book uh, is full of these stories, and stories going all the way from the story that we will be seeing in Scripture of Stephen all the way to present day. And, you know, if you think about it, the story of Christianity is, is really literally a story of blood, a, a trail of blood. It begins with the cross of Calvary, moves to the apostles and their deaths, and continues to this very day. What is a martyr? That's what we're talking about. Fox's Book of Martyrs. What is a martyr? By definition, a martyr is a person who gives his life or her life for a cause. In Acts 6 and 7, we have a story of the very first Christian martyr. His name is Stephen. He began uh, what was to become a very, very common occurrence for the next 2,000 years. In fact, if we were to study church history, we would discover that it is more and more common every year. In fact, there are more people killed for their faith in the 20th century, about 26 million, 
than there were in the previous 19 centuries combined. About 14 million. Did you catch that? There were more in this last century that died for their faith than there were in previous 19. That was an impressive statistic to me. This morning, I want us to think about martyrdom. What, it is, what is a martyr? What are the marks of a martyr? This may seem a little off subject or, or off, I guess, in our culture, in our world here in America. I mean, do we really need to study this? Do we really need to look into this? Are we in threat in our lives here, here in America? Well, I believe that we have seen uh, the beginnings of a lot of possibilities for that. Maybe in the, you know, in the last 30 years, the nation has banned prayer in schools, banned teaching of the Ten Commandments, etc., etc., etc. We have seen the country change the interpretation in the Constitution that says freedom of religion to freedom from religion. I do believe that uh, as we look around, we have a steady decline in morality and and a desire to turn away from the truth. And if you look at every nation in this world, whenever that has happened, a decline in morality and no desire for truth, following that shortly after has been the per- persecution of Christians. So I don't know where we stand. I don't know how long this will be. And I, by no standard, want it to come to there. And I, I don't consider myself a prophet. But are we prepared for that persecution that Jesus said would come? Would we, like Stephen here coming up as we study, be able to stand against our enemy and dis- to uh, defend our faith? First of all, we really can't consider dying for Christ until we're ready to live for Him. I mean, that, that makes sense, right? You can't die for something you don't live for yet. John fifteen thirteen. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. What does that mean, to lay down one's life for his friends? We normally interpret this verse of saying that there's no greater love than one die for his friends, right? It's how we normally see this, is that lay down his life is, is dying. But that may not necessarily be the full case here. That may not be the full understanding. Jesus, Jesus might have been wanting something, I guess, slightly different here. That he wants us to lay down our lives. The best way I can think to demonstrate this is, is by means of money. If someone were to live 82 years... For 82 years, if you were to put that into days, that would be about 30,000 days. Let's say each of those days was represented by $1. So $30,000 equates a life. I've got a picture up here then. If you see that, three $10,000 bills. How would you like to have at least one of those? You got, you got those three. And that, this is your worth, let's say. And in the case of Stephen, many others... You lay it all on the line. Thirty thousand. This is you're laying it there, and you're giving it to God. Now, each day I said, "Look like a one dollar, right?" Which of these bills would you rather have? The one up on the screen, or the one in my hand? I, I was trying to get a hold of one of those for the sermon illustration. <laughs> no one would loan one, but I got one of these, so. You would rather have the big one, right? You would rather have that, but 
one of these every day of your life. It's not bad. It really wouldn't be a, a bad setup. And sometimes, sometimes God doesn't ask us to lay three $10,000 bills down on the line. Some days, sometimes all he asks is for one dollar at a time. Each day, one dollar. So, getting back to the interpretation of John fifteen thirteen, then, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. That may not necessarily mean cash in the 30000 right there. It may mean one dollar at a time. Spend it individually. Believe it or not, you have been called to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Paul spells it out this way, Romans 12, 1 through 2. And, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the, truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Our lives are, are to be living sacrifices. We are to die daily to Christ. I never fully understood that term, living sacrifice. What does that mean? I thought a sacrifice was death. If we're talking about it in, in the sense of a martyr, yes. But Romans, a living sacrifice. Maybe it's one dollar at a time. Call on the needy, spend a dollar. Visit with your neighbor, spend a dollar. Comfort the sick, spend a dollar. Teach a Bible study, another dollar. My question here is this. Are you willing to live for Christ as you are willing to die for Him? You know, a lot of times we'd say, man, I've died for Christ. I would die for Him. If it, if it were to call upon me uh, to lay my life on the line, I would do it, and I would die for the faith. But what about each day, every day? Am I willing to live for Christ? Maybe that's the better question. Jim Elliott, a missionary who did give his life for the gospel, said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain for what he cannot lose. So let's look at the, what a, being a martyr really means. The mar, first mark of a martyr is a person who has died to Christ long before he dies for Christ. Someone who has already died for Christ long before he dies for Christ. Before we get into the story of, with Stephen here in, in Acts 6 and 7, let's just remember where the church is at this point. The church has been growing by leaps and bounds. A lot of good things have been happening in this, in this congregation as the church is starting. 3,000, as I mentioned last week uh, on the day of Pentecost, another 5,000. It is added daily, and then it is multiplied there in the beginning of Acts 6. The church is growing. It has gone through persecution, verbal persecution, threatening the apostles. Do not preach in this name. And, of course, they respond with, should we obey God rather, rather than men? They're detained. The church has survived so much. It has even survived its first church conflict. Anything that could have split the church, it's just helping them grow. So Satan has to look at it another way, and he asks the question, yeah, it's working, but are you willing to die for it? Are you willing to die for this cause? Do you really believe in it that much? 
Stephen answered that call long before he ever died for Christ. He had given Jesus Christ his life. It was that very presence of his faith in, in Christ that caused the men in the synagogue to rise up and argue with him. Six, uh, eight, eight through nine. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some of the men of the synagogue of freed slaves, at, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were not going to argue with just an ordinary, ordinary Christian. They chose a man whose life was marked with, by faith and sacrifice. It was those very same qualities that the synagogue uh, rulers started to argue with him. Those very same qualities is what made him one of the seven deacons appointed to help the widows. So this is a man of many talents. He went further than just helping the widows as his job prescribed, uh, ordained by the apostles. He was preaching and teaching and defending his faith. He was one of the first leaders, then, of the church. Well, second mark of a martyr, then, is a person who is willing to defend his faith to death. This is the most obvious meaning of the word martyr. Whenever I I were to mention the word martyr, this is what you think of. Someone who is willing to defend their faith to death. Stephen was not only willing to live for Christ, but he was willing to die for Christ, too. Stephen was picked out because of his faith. And Stephen was willing to defend his faith. Acts tells us in 6 verse 10, he was to the point he was able to defend it that none of them could stand against his wisdom and the spirit which Stephen spoke. I think it's a beautiful statement that these are synagogue rulers. These are the religious elite. Stephen was not. Yet Acts says that none of them could stand against the wisdom or the spirit in which Stephen spoke. I think those two have to go hand in hand. They probably could have stood against the wisdom, but they weren't going to be able to stand against the spirit of Stephen because that spirit was was that of the living God. When the group began making accusations toward this man, he was ready, willing, and able to come to his own defense. Stephen never once sways from his faith in, in Jesus Christ even though he's aware, he had to have been aware that his defense that he was going to give would even lead to his death. I'm not going to read the whole section here as it get, comes into it, but the whole chapter, Acts 7, is Stephen's defense. It is 60 verses long. It's a big old chapter. And it's a, it's a sermon. It's a sermon that he's given and he talks about all the things that has happened in Israelites' history, bringing them up to a crucial point in defending Jesus as being, as being the one that, is worthy to, that has died for them and being worthy to, to die for him. Let me ask you a question, you know, just to sway this a little bit different. Do you believe the eternal soul of another individual is worth your very life? The eternal soul of someone else, do you think that if you were to die so that that person could have a relationship with Jesus Christ as his Savior, do you think it's worth it? Stephen believed his was. I find that hard to swallow sometimes. I find that hard to think about of saying, but, but Lord, couldn't I do so much more or couldn't I do something else? 
You know, the longer I stick along this earth, I can encourage people. Come on, Lord. Am I saying that my life is better than someone's soul? Don't you find it odd that we, and myself included, are afraid of taking a risk? That our friends, co-workers, family members might laugh at us, might mock us, because we shared the gospel of Jesus with them? You know, when you put it, whenever I put it that way, it really hits home for me. That a lot of times, I'm just, I'm scared of the ridicule. I'm scared of someone making fun of me for bringing up Christ. But by not doing that, I am saying that my, me living and living good is better than your eternal soul. Isn't that how it feels? What is the mark of a mar- martyr here? Willingness to share faith no matter the cost. I think in that way we're supposed to be like Jesus. No matter the cost. He came to earth specifically because he believed each one of us was worth it. It was worth his life. Each one of us was worth his life. He lived here for 33 years. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth, came to earth, lived among us, and then died for us because he felt we were worth it. You know, I would say this, if you're here this morning and, and you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to think about that very fact, that he thought you were worth it. Christ came to a cross because you were worth it. You haven't done anything to earn it. You weren't so smart, so strong, so popular, so rich. God wanted you to be in heaven. He thought you were worth it. He thought that his life was just fine, a price to pay for the soul of someone else. I think that's the mark of a martyr. The third mark of a martyr is a person who has a forgiving spirit. Think about it for a minute. A martyr has a forgiving spirit. Let's look at Stephen. Acts 7, verse 60. He fell on his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Do you find this amazing as I do? These are the men that had been arguing with him for a little bit. And I don't know if you you know this about me, but I like a good argument. Sometimes I just play devil's advocate just to get the argument going and enjoy in that. But this wasn't necessarily a, a joyful argument as it came about. That Stephen was laying, laying down a defense and, and bringing up all this stuff about Christ. And the leaders then started accusing him of different things. And they had to bring in some false witness to accuse him. So he goes and defends his faith. They listen to him. And at the end, whenever he says that this Jesus Christ you crucified... And he says also that I'm look, as he looks into heaven and sees Jesus standing there, they basically put their hands in their ears, start yelling the, the little kid, I, I, I'm not listening to you. Pick up, rush him out of the city, pick up stones, and start to stone him just for what he had said. Yet the same Stephen, near his death, whenever he sees Jesus up there, he looks to him and says, Lord, forgive them. Sound familiar? Sound like something that maybe Stephen knew how to do that because his Lord had already done that? 
I think Jesus went through much stronger of a, of a physical beating than Stephen did. The stoning to death process was not near as gruesome or near as painful more so as the crucifixion process. But at the end of the crucifixion, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. I believe a mark, one, one of the marks of a martyr is the forgiving spirit. Let's go back to the first two marks. A person who has died to Christ long before he dies for Christ, and a person who is willing to defend his faith, even a death. Now think about the third mark, the spirit of forgiveness. As men and women who have given ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, as Romans 12 says, shouldn't we also have that third mark of a martyr? Shouldn't we also have that forgiving spirit? Able to move on? Able to get out of this idea that uh, I'm just I'm doing what I'm, what I'm told and I'm going to go through this and that's it. And, you know, God will judge. God will judge whether, whether you're right or wrong. If we give our lives one dollar at a time, it kind of changes a lot of perspective. At least for me it does. Because I think at some points... I would be willing at the end of my life, I would be willing, as Stephen said, you know what, the last thing I can do, maybe my last message to these people that are, try, uh, that are killing me, is to say, Father, forgive them. And maybe, just maybe, they might turn to Christ that way. I would love that. But if I'm called to give my life $1 at a time for $30,000 and go through it $1 at a time and someone questions me, my method, questions whether I'm doing what God has called, or someone just picks a fight with me. It's much easier to just walk away from that or to write them off or to blame them or to accuse them or it's much harder every day to say, Father, forgive them for what they're doing to me now. And Lord, tomorrow, when they do it again, Forgive him again. Jesus says that we should be storing treasures in heaven where moth and thieves will not be able to destroy. Forgiving our life one dollar at a time. That dollar is just not going into, into nothingness. It's a money well spent. It's going into that treasury in heaven. An eternal savings account. So the question I want you to ask yourself is how much are you depositing? How much are you depositing in that life beyond? That really matters. I close this morning really by asking you to evaluate your own account. Do you have the marks of a martyr? Have you died to Christ? Have you given him your very life? Are you willing to give your life to spread the gospel? You would defend your faith every bit along the way. And are you willing, willing to forgive rejection, ridicule, and persecution? I think these are the marks of a martyr. They're the marks that Stephen showed us. They are the marks that the Lord Jesus Christ himself displayed on Calvary. And I believe these are the marks of a true disciple of Christ. So if you don't have these marks, I think it's time to get them into your life. And if you need help with any part of that process of getting those into your life, of confessing, of, of being baptized, or of just letting us know where you are in this journey, that you will defend Christ all the way to death.
If you have any need of this congregation, would you please come forward as we stand and sing?